Well, hey, good morning to you. And uh, I, I hate to interrupt. I really do. I mean, you just, uh, you look great, you sound great, and it's just good to see you enjoying uh, moments of fellowship. And uh, for some of us, it's, uh, it's been a while, maybe since we've been to church or been to this church or been to any church. And uh, uh, for some, you just haven't seen each other for uh, a few hours or a few days. Um, but it's, it's just good to be able to reconnect. And that's I hope you know that's one of the key reasons why we come together on a Sunday morning. It's, yes, to hear the Word of God. It's to lift our voices in worship and singing and in prayer, without a doubt. But it is also to fellowship together, to, to be together as the body of Christ, and uh, to enjoy that fellowship, that sweet communion that, that is ours in Jesus. And so when we talk about passing the peace of Christ to one another, we we mean more than just, uh, you know, how was your week? We, we mean sharing this peace that comes to us in Jesus that we can, that we can bond together over and through. And so uh, whether you were sharing about your week or you were sharing about the peace of Jesus, it's all good as we come together as God's people. And we are going to be reading from uh, the first part and studying, looking at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount over the next several weeks and so we'll begin there today in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 to 12. So if you have your Bible or if you want to grab one of those in the seat in front of you or if you would just like to look on the screen, you can do that as well. But we're going to read, I'm going to read for us from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12. And at the end I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you can say thanks be to God. But let's be Standing, let's be seated, let's be standing, let's, uh, let's stand up as I read these words for us, can I? Can we? Good. One day, as he saw, Jesus saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. For they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace. For they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So we're starting this new series today, and we're calling it Your Kingdom Come. And uh, as I said, our study of the Sermon on the Mount in small groups, our growth groups, will take us all the way to... Uh, to Holy Week, all the way to Easter nearly, um, over 10-week span. 
We're not going to preach all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to tackle chapter 5 and kind of get us going. And then we'll be jumping into something different in our text during the season of Lent. But this will, um, this will sort of introduce the sermon on Sundays, and we'll carry that out. And as I think was mentioned, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is such that we can just kind of scrape the surface here on Sunday mornings. And the discussion and really the hard work uh, needs to be done in conversation and in time spent together. But we're taking the title of the series from Jesus' famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, that is actually found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. We won't get to it on Sundays, but we'll see it during the week. And these wonderful words that, that maybe we pray, thy kingdom come, but your kingdom come. Your will be done. This idea that, that the way and the will of God would be accomplished among us in this place, in our, in our sphere, in, in our space, that, that the rule and the reign of God would come and be among us, would be a part of us, would be over us. What an amazing prayer. If you ever start to get used to praying the Lord's Prayer, just slow down and say those words a little more thoughtfully and reflectively. Every line really is packed with great meaning, but this one in particular stops me every time. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a great prayer to keep on praying, to keep on believing that God's rule and his reign can really be introduced and, and a part of the world in which we live, that his will and his way can be accomplished. What a prayer to not only pray and to believe, but to live out, to be people of your kingdom come, to be people who are, who are believing and living into this reality that the kingdom of God, that his rule and his reign, the kingdom of God, not necessarily a place Heaven, as we think of it necessarily, but, but as a, a, a rule, a, a reign where God is in charge, the context where God is in charge. What a great prayer for us to live into. Not that the culture would have its own way, not that economics would have their own way, not that a political system would have its own way, not that our own personal selfishness would have its own way, not that power would have its own way, but that God would have his own way. That his rule, that his reign would affect our lives, our families, our church, our city. So we're thinking about this. Your kingdom come. What does it look like? What does it mean? Matthew 4, 17, in the weeks past, we've looked at these passages from, from God, Matthew's gospel. And when we read that in Jesus' earliest days of his ministry, he, like John the Baptist before him, had basically a one-sentence sermon, maybe two, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This was, this was the extent of Jesus' sermon. This was his message. Repent. Turn around, change your way, the kingdom of heaven is near. And when he said it is near, he knew it was near because it was in him. The kingdom of heaven had come near because he had come near. God had interrupted human history. 
God had intervened in, in, in all of, of time by sending his own son, by coming himself. The kingdom, the rule and reign of God had come into the world, had come near because Jesus had come near. Never forget that. Always know that deep in your heart that where Jesus is, there is the kingdom. There is the rule and the reign of God. So when Jesus is the Lord of the church, there is the kingdom of God. Where Jesus is the ruler and the Lord of a person, there is the kingdom of God. Repent, turn away from your previous ways because the kingdom has come near. Jesus has come near. We read in Matthew 4.23, that same that same chapter, that after this, uh, we're, it's reported that Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Again, one theme, one theme, synagogues, as we'll see, mountainsides, wherever he went, Galilee, uh, to the inner circle, the outsiders, wherever he went, he had one theme, the kingdom, this good news about the kingdom. What God was doing in and through Jesus was really, really good news. And Jesus was doing what he could to get the word out. Everywhere he went, preaching, teaching about the good news of the kingdom. And so Matthew chapter 5, where we read today, it has become known, and verse chapter 6 and 7 as well, as the Sermon on the Mount. Here is Again, Jesus, though, as I mentioned, preaching from a mountainside and not in a synagogue, sharing, and what we have recorded for us by Matthew is the content, really, of this, this good news that Jesus was sharing, this good news of the kingdom that he was going around teaching and preaching. Here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have the content. We, we have recorded for us what it was that Jesus was saying, what it was that this kingdom life was all about. It was here, and it is here in this sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus would teach both about the God who rules and who reigns, and it's important that we have our ears and eyes and our, all of our spiritual sensitivities alerted to see what we're learning and what Jesus is teaching us about the Father but he would also teach us about what life will look like and what life ought to look like underneath that rule and reign of God. Here is, here is a description. Here is a portrait. Here is a really more than that even, an invitation to a life lived under God's gracious rule and under God's gracious reign. So over the next Four weeks or so, I think, in, here on Sunday mornings, we're going to be working through Matthew 5 and uh, looking at this beginning portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been uh, said that the Sermon on the Mount probably is Jesus' probably, probably his most well-known teaching, but uh, perhaps his least understood, and this author, anyway, said certainly his least obeyed. <laughs> I, I read it again this week, and I read it with some, some friends, and as we read it, we were... We were shocked again, even, even put back a little bit about at some of the things that Jesus would dare to say in, in this sermon. I, I guess and imagine that some of us will be shocked and set back a little bit as well as we look into these words in weeks to come. But here is an invitation again to that, that called out life. 
Ever since God's dealings with the Israelite people, he had been calling a, a, a people out to himself throughout his history with the Israelite people, calling them to be set apart, to be different. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doing the same thing with those who would come after him, to be called out, to be set apart, to be different. One author speaks of the Sermon on the Mount as simply being a, a, a code for living a countercultural life for a follower of Jesus, countercultural uh, not taking cues from the secular society on the one hand, or even taking cues from the, the religious systems on the other hand, but taking cues only from Jesus and his rule and his leadership in our lives. Here's Jesus teaching from a mountain, just as Moses had proclaimed the Ten Commandments from a mountain. Here's Jesus inviting, again, painting this picture Seated as one with authority now, inviting his disciples to a life with him. How amazing, how beautiful. And I spoke about this a little bit last week, Jesus' emphasis on making disciples. And how beautiful it is that this Jesus, who Matthew will soon tell us is the one who came to die and to be raised again. This Jesus who would ascend into heaven and is alive and, and, and at the right hand of the Father even today, is the same Jesus who would, who would take that, that time out of his life and in his ministry to, to teach us. To, that he cares so much about us that he would, he would want to instruct us. That, that he, would, he would carve out his, these moments and that it would be recorded for us in Scripture that Jesus would would shape us and, and form us with his words, not only by what he did, but what he said. And, and I, I think maybe sometimes we sort of take that for granted, but the fact that Jesus would, would want to include and involve his disciples in what he was doing in the world, that he would want to speak to them in such a way that they might be shaped as his true followers, that, they would, that he would want to unveil and open up all the secrets, in a sense, of the kingdom and show them and show us what it looks like. How honored are we? How privileged are we? How grateful are we that we might have these words? Here is his curriculum for Christ-likeness, and it will do well for us to listen in. And, of course, nowhere is this sort of invitation to a countercultural life lived against the grain of the world around us more clearly and powerfully stated than in these first 12 verses of the sermon that we've read this morning. What have become known as the Beatitudes, the, the blessings. And the translation that we read this morning from the NLT is a little different than maybe some of you are used to, where it's, Jesus says, God blesses those. Some of you are used to just saying, blessed are those. But here we just have this, this great reminder that that, that these are the kind of characteristics that, that God values. These are the kind of virtues that are important to God. And the Beatitudes, if you heard them, and, and you'll look back at them even now if you want to in your scripture, you can look back and see that they are, they are radically different than what the world would expect. Radically different than, than, than what we would learn from, from our earliest days in the world in which we live. This is 
a whole different way of looking at, at the world. Here's a, a radical reversal of what's considered to be true in the culture in which we live. Here is what is declared to be true in the eyes of God. Here is what is declared to be true in, in the mind of God. The people whom the world sees perhaps as, as pitiful, the mournful, you heard it, the, the, the persecuted, those whom the world might look down upon, these are the ones whom God celebrates. These are the one whom God congratulates. These are the one whom Jesus says are truly blessed. So here are the characteristics, the virtues, the qualities that are meaningful in the kingdom. Those that matter most to God. Here in these 12 verses, we just get a, we get a picture into the, into the heart and the mind of God. We get a sense of of what he values, what's important to him. And I don't know about you, but, but I, I just want to hold as important in my own life what's important to God. I, I can so easily think of so many things in my life and this week that, that are pressing in for claims of importance upon me and what I think should be valued, and, and what I'm picking up as I, as I read and, and watch and experience and are immersed in this culture. It, it can be so easy to sort of get, get sucked into this way of thinking that, that this is important and that is important, but to be able to come back into these words and to hear truly what God thinks are important are so foundational and so important for us. So we notice some things in these Beatitudes that we need to hold on to. This week, you're going to get into each one of them in your small groups, and there will be questions about them. So I'm not going to spend my time here to, to dig through. I, I might hit on a couple, but I'm not going to dig through each particular uh, Beatitude that is mentioned here. But there's three sort of overarching themes or ideas concerning these Beatitudes that I just really want us to 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 hold on to and to, to, to grasp here this morning as we think about them and as we maybe engage with them at a little bit of a deeper level uh, this week. Um, and, 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 and really, as we sort of set the stage for the weeks to come, and I, I think just even as we can hear in these initial words of the sermon, we can get a sense of of what Jesus is going to be teaching us and what he's going to want to be saying to us in, in the weeks to come as we study this. Who's talking? That's okay. <laughs> um, so here's the first thing that, that I want us to know. That, that, that the Beatitudes are not conditions for discipleship, but they're characteristics of discipleship. Not conditions. When you read these, we aren't to read them as conditions for becoming disciples, but rather as characteristics of those who are disciples. Not, 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 a, not a bar to be jumped over in order to be accepted by God, but a bar to be lived up to as God enables us as we follow after him. My, my kids are, are not my kids because they do all the things I ask them to do. 
They, they didn't get their last name because they met a certain number of requirements. They, they, they didn't have a checklist when they came out of the womb, and, and here's what they had to do in order to be a part of my family. They were a part of my family from the beginning. They were, they were welcomed into this family. But it's as they are a part of this family now that that, that checklist comes, perhaps. And it's as a part of, of that family, as family members, that they have the opportunity and the invitation to live into what it means to be a part of the Kinsler family. The Beatitudes are the same, not a, a checklist in order to be accepted by God, in order to somehow garner God's blessing, but a, 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 an invitation that as the children of God, we are now invited to live into this way and fully engage and receive of the fullness and the blessing of God. Some have taught over the years that, that beatitude, the Beatitudes are these high ideals that Jesus is calling everyone to attain and to live up to. And if only we will do these things, we will be rewarded. Others have said that these are somehow sort of entrance requirements that we have to be all of these things before we can be allowed entry into the kingdom of God. But both of these approaches, again, focus the attention on us. They focus the attention on our good works and on what we are doing. If we read them, again, maybe even as you heard them this morning, if we read them that way, we just start to feel guilty, right? I don't know what word you're going to put in there, but that's my word. I, I, if I read them that way, I just think, well, haven't done that, haven't done that, not quite there. And, and, and really just this heaviness of, of guilt can fall upon us. Instead, we need to, again, see them and notice, really, to who these blessings, to whom these blessings are addressed. So notice there at the very beginning of Matthew 5, it says that Jesus saw the crowds and that he went up on the mountainside and he taught his disciples. No doubt there's a sense in which Matthew wants us to be sure and know that Jesus' message is for the world. The, the crowds are gathered there, but that the first line of attack, in a sense, the first circle there with Jesus are his disciples. I think this is the way Jesus kind of worked throughout his ministry in a lot of ways. He, he spoke to his disciples, and he trusted that there were others in the world who were eavesdropping in on the conversation. I, I think that this is beautifully what gets to happen a lot on Sunday mornings and uh, when there's Christian gatherings, that, that, that primarily as we speak about the Beatitudes this morning, these are, these are for Christians. These are for disciples, people who have put their faith in Jesus and by the grace of God have entered into a relationship with, with him. But there are likely some here this morning who are still sort of on that next circle out in, in the crowd, so to speak, and kind of listening in on, on what it is that life with God looks like. This is what Jesus was doing. This is what Jesus is still doing. So whether or not you're a committed believer, then I believe the Sermon on the Mount can be for you because you can hear what it might look like for you to be one who would follow 
after Christ in discipleship. But here he is speaking to disciples. The Beatitudes speak to these who are already participants in the presence of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes speak words of affirmation and assurance and even, as I said earlier, congratulation to those who have given their life to God, who have signed on for this life of discipleship and who are living it well. Jesus spoke this sermon to those who were already children in the family of God, already citizens of God's kingdom, and the high standards are appropriate really only for them. One author, in fact, John Stott, who helps us with this small group, said, we do not achieve some privileged status by attaining God's standards. Rather, by attaining his standards, we give evidence of what, by God's free grace and gift, we already are. The Beatitudes then become this way that we give evidence we live out this reality of who we are, of who God has made us to be by his grace and by relationship with him. They're not conditions for discipleship, but characteristics from discipleship. Not the flow up, but the flow out of who God has already made us to be. Here's another idea from these Beatitudes. To notice the simple fact that Jesus begins his sermon not with demands, but with blessing. I just, I love this. It just says something beautiful to us about who Jesus is. I, I told you last week that my basketball season is nearing an end as coach, so I'm just squeezing every last moment out of it in terms of telling you stories about my interaction with these 14, 14-year-old boys on this basketball team that I'm coaching and, uh, and I'll just say that, um, well, let me just say that we had a tough one on Friday afternoon. And, uh, and especially, it's never good when something bad happens right before halftime. Because that's when the coach has the chance to give that halftime speech. And something bad happened right before halftime. And I've just been, you know, uh, repenting of my uh, halftime speech ever since then. But I, I went in at halftime and I just said, you guys are embarrassing. What just happened out there is terrible. I mean, I laid into them. And you've never seen perhaps this side of Pastor James. You need to join my team. Um, embarrassing, ter terrible. We don't practice that. Where have you ever learned that? It's, it's, it's horrible, I think, was another word that I used. Um, let's see, embarrassing, terrible, horrible. I think that about covers it, actually. <laughs> there might, might have been a few others, none of the four-letter variation, I, I, I believe me. But, uh, but it, you know, it was almost one of those where I didn't know what to say. I was so upset. And, and I told him, and that was the last thing that kind of showed my pastoral tendencies, I guess. I said, I'm just so mad at you guys. <laughs> As soon as I said it, I thought, well, you really look mad. I'm really, really so mad at you right now. But uh, I, was, I was really, you know, I was really upset. And then the, the, the more I get away from it, and, and the more I've realized, especially in working with this group of guys, is that they don't, and I think maybe I already told you this, but they don't not do things the right way because they're trying to be bad kids. 
because they want to lose and because they want to be embarrassed on the court or be horrible or terrible or get me mad at them. They're not doing these things. I don't think. That, they might, that last one, actually. But they're not doing these things in order to do that. They, they're, they're doing these things. And as I went back and I watched, actually, the film of the game, the, the person in particular that I was so mad at was trying so hard. He just didn't know what to do. It, it wasn't that he didn't want to do it. It's just that he didn't know what to do. And so my... My, my demand, my, my force, my frustration is, is wrongly directed. Instead of frustration at them, I should be frustrated at who? Myself. For not better instructing them and for helping them to be successful. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of that... that tough spot that we get into. I'm so mad at you, and really, I'm so mad at me as I really think about that situation. These, it's just so easy to, to demand things from people, to want things from people, to, to press in on people, and to, to uh, boy, just beat people down. <laughs> it's kind of what I'm afraid I did a little bit to some freshman boys. Um, it's the beautiful thing about this Sermon on the Mount. It's, it, I already talked about it a little bit this morning, that, that, um, that how, how privileged, how honored are we that Jesus would teach us, that Jesus would open up the wisdom of the kingdom of God and invest that and Pour that into our lives. Make that available for us to hear and attend to. But, but not only that he would do it, but that how he did it. I mean, I, he, he could have started with all sorts of other sermonic techniques that have been used over the years. <laughs> Guilt trips and blaming and condemning. Could have easily done that to these disciples, even at that point, but he doesn't. He starts with words of blessing. Man. I think this just tells us something about Jesus. It tells us something about the Father. It tells us something about this sermon that we'll read and study in totality, is that this is not... A, a, a sermon. This is not a God who is out to get us. This is not a God who is out to tell us and remind us of all the things that we've done wrong, all the ways that we've let him down and that we'll continue to do so, all the things that we should have done better, that we could have done different, and the ways that we'll just never measure up. This is a God, and this is a sermon that will look us right in the face and say, blessed are you. I call you blessed. I, I want nothing more, really, than to speak words of affirmation and encouragement and blessing and, and assurance into your lives. This is where God starts. This is his starting spot. And I just think, I don't know, again, maybe it's just me, but I just think there's something that if you're sort of ever wrestling with your image of who God is, and, and, 
and sort of the portrayals of, of God that we pick up at different places from different people at different times of our lives, then, then, then somewhere, somehow stick into your memory bank or into your thinking about your portrayal, your understanding of God, that he's a God who wants to bless. My, some of you know my dad, and uh, I think he's going to be here next week celebrating his 82nd birthday, or 82. And, uh, you know, I think as you get older, you, you get more power to bless. Does that make sense? Some of you older people and some of you younger people. Uh, we, I've told you about our, um, our cabin up in, in Idaho, many of you. And, and my dad, when we're up there together, he likes to build a little fire out on the, uh, at least for a few summers he would do this before it was um, illegal. Um, he would build a little fire there. And, uh, and it was funny because people from all over the neighborhood and, and really all over the, like the town, they, they would seem to sort of make a pilgrimage to our, our house, our cabin. And uh, the cabin is on what's known as Diamond Street in, in Idaho, McCall, Idaho. And uh, so I began to call him the Dalai Lama of Diamond Street. Now, I know that's inappropriate and we're a Christian church and all that, but I just thought it was funny <laughs> because people are making that, you know, that pilgrimage and got to go see him. And, 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 but they would, they would come and, and I would watch them from inside. I rarely would go out and, and kind of, you know, interrupt the conversation, but I would watch from inside. And, and I would watch them just talk with my dad, and I knew what he was saying to them because he says the same stuff to me, and it was stuff like this. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, doesn't God love us so much? Hey, God, God's going to be with you in that. And, and, and he, my dad told me one time, he said, I've been saying the same stuff my whole life. Just the older I get, the more people listen. <laughs> but they, they came and they, they come and, and all they want to hear were words of blessing. And not, not like empty blessing, like, hey, do whatever you want. God's with you. But, but words of God will help you. In the midst of the good and the bad, and hey, if that's not what God wants for you, then he's going to help change that in you, and he's going to move you and lead you in a new direction, but, but, but ah, we are so hungry and so desperately in need for words of blessing, and I think something we learned from these Beatitudes right from the start is that this is the kind of God we serve, the God who wants to bless and not just fix Aren't you happy about that? Um, amen. Praise God. Whether you're, whether you're meek, whether you're humble, whether you're mourning, whether you're merciful, whether you're hungering and thirsting for justice, God longs to bless us. Jesus, I, I just love it, Jesus, he singles these people out. He's like, you who mourn, you're blessed. You who are, are, are poor in spirit, God blesses you. God loves you. 
Here's the last one. Well, that, that idea was simply this, that, that uh, the sermon begins not with demand, but with blessing. Here's the last one that, that I just want us to notice, that, that the Beatitudes speak of a, a present blessing, like right now, this present blessing. But it's based on, that, that present blessing is based on a, in six of the eight cases at least, a promised future. And it's very important that the theologians use a great big word that I just want to throw at you just because it's fun, that, that this is an eschatological sermon, that, that it, it speaks of the eschaton, of the end time. And so, so we receive, Jesus says, a promised, a, a present blessing, but that present blessing is based on a promised future. And, and, and here's the, the thought behind that, that we, as, as Christians, people who live in the kingdom, we, we see the world with, with two sort of frames of reference. We see the world with one frame that everyone else sees, the, the world that is all around us, the, the challenges, the struggle, the frustrations, the brokenness, the despair, the discouragement, the division, uh, this, is, this is the place that we see, and we don't see it as, as an empty place. We see it as a place for mission. We see it as a place for service. We see it as a place for investing and involving ourselves into the world. But, but we, as followers of Jesus, also see the world through a second frame of reference, through a second set of lenses. We see, we see the, the reality that God is at work even now, in the midst of all that everyone else sees, that God is still working and that he is working in such a way as to bring all things to fulfillment. And if that sounds vague and ambiguous, you heard it right. (laughs) It is, but we know with faith that God is at work bringing things to their right completion. And that in the end, God's kingdom will reign in full, though it is perhaps already a part of the world that we know. In the end, his kingdom will reign supreme. And because of this frame of reference, because of this set of lenses that we can see this sort of alternate reality, we are able to see this other, through this other set of lenses, from a different angle, with a different sort of confidence, with a different sort of, of hope. Uh, the, the Beatitudes have been broken up in a lot of different ways, but, but one category or three categories that sort of caught me was one author spoke of it this way, Beatitudes of suffering, the first uh, Four, poor in spirit, mourning, humble, hungering. These are, these, are, these are ways that we, in a sense, suffer and wait for God to act. And we wait for his saving grace to be on the move in our own lives. And, and we trust and we are blessed even in the midst of that because we know in the future that we will be satisfied in a sense. And then the second one, uh, Beatitudes of Serving. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, the, the one who does right. These are the ones who will, 
who will act in service and will be blessed now because of the future reward that will come. The, the last category that he says is just the Beatitudes of hurt, and that's the, the Beatitudes that speak of those who are blessed because of their persecution, persecution because of Jesus and persecution because of this, this faith. He, he actually gave a name to this. I really like it. He called it the, the aerobics of discipleship. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and demonstrate. He drew it with stick figures, but I just figured I'd act it out. He, he just says that the, that, the, that the beatitudes of suffering are best sort of portrayed by being on your knees with hands raised to God, mourning, humble, hungering, thirsting, needing the grace of God to come and to speak and to move in my life. Um, present blessing because of promised future, but on our knees reaching to God. He said the, the second one, the, the uh, Beatitudes of serving are, are simply standing from, from knees and hands held high to on the feet with hands held out wide, extended to the world in, in mercy and in giving and in working for peace and in doing right, and you can sort of see the calisthenics and the aerobics at work, because the last one, the, the, uh, the Beatitudes of Hurt, he, just, he says, actually, that's like laying down on your back, and now you can't see me, but I'm just, I'm like, I'm beaten down by the world. Greg, tell him I'm okay. He's all right. All right. I'm beaten down by the world, but I'm reaching back up to God. I've been persecuted because of Jesus, because of this faith that I'm living out, but, but there's this promised future that is still out in front that I can hold on to. And what he says is that you actually go from, it's this beautiful cycle of beatitude, of this beautiful cycle of blessing. Actually, you go from, from, from back to knees. I've been persecuted. Now I need you, God. I've received from you, now I stand and offer. And as I offer, I'm persecuted and beaten back down. But as I'm beaten back down, I receive again from you. And as I receive from you, I stand to give of myself. The aerobics of discipleship. We have a... A, a word of blessing here, a, a present blessing. As disciples of Jesus, it's even now because of a promised future. And we thank God for that. Hey, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for your word. Thank you for this sermon. Thank you for these words of blessing that we have heard again this morning, and perhaps some of us have needed to hear something specifically. Maybe there's some who are, who are uh, just feeling very poor in spirit this morning for whatever reason, some just very aware of their spiritual impoverishment, some who are, are uh, maybe just, just mourning the, the brokenness of the world around them, maybe something very personal, maybe mourning the, the, the sin in our own lives, God. Maybe there are some who have just been 
uh, just giving of themselves for peace, maybe working so hard for peace in their family or in uh, their workplace or even in our community or our, our world, and it just feels like they just keep running up against violence and, and conflict, and they need to hear a word of blessing. Maybe there are some here today who have just, in a situation in particular, they just feel like they've just been, just by your grace, just doing the right thing. They just over and over and over <clears throat> chosen to respond to wrong actions or behaviors aimed at them with just right words, right behavior. And it seems maybe even today that they're just getting pushed farther down because of that. Maybe some even have taken a stand for Jesus, for you, God, in recent days and have felt just the, 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 the pain of persecution at one level or another. Maybe there's some students here this morning who maybe just feel a little bit on the outside of the circle at school because they're a follower of Jesus. They, they're not quite in the flow, maybe, because of who they are in you, and that hurts. Whatever the case this morning, again, Jesus, we lean into the, the, the promised future. We lean into the present blessing. Thank you, oh God. And we lean into the reality that you are inviting us to a life of discipleship that can, uh, that can be matched by nothing else in this world. And that as we live into that, by your grace and by your strength, you will so equip us and help us. And you will incorporate and involve us in your work that we will begin to live into and experience a life that we could have never imagined for ourselves. So thank you, Jesus, for teaching us and for inviting us into this life. We are blessed.